Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the Gospel of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all our hearts be now and always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The accomplished American writer, Joan Didion, wrote a book about grief following the sudden death of her husband, The Year of Magical Thinking. In that book, she described how she refused to accept that her husband was gone. She expected him to come back. She refused to let go of her yearning for his return and for life to go back to normal. She was in utter denial for many months, steadfastly holding on to the magical thinking that if she willed it hard enough, then he would return. She refused to tidy away his shoes, as he would need them when he came back home. Joan Didion is not alone in her experiences of grief, but of course, as a writer of great eloquence, she was able to describe those feelings in a way which has spoken to millions of readers. It is rated one of the top non-fiction books of this century to date. Why do I begin my message on this joyful day of resurrection with a reminder of the depths of dislocation which loss and grief can produce? Well, it occurred to me as I looked at the two passages of Scripture set for Easter Day this year in the Church's cycle of readings, that we have two very contrasting perspectives on the resurrection of Jesus. It's accepted generally by New Testament experts that the eight verses of Mark's Gospel we have just read are the original ending of that Gospel. The most ancient and reliable Greek manuscripts of Mark 
do not include any of the additional verses you will find in published Bibles. Most modern editions of the Bible now have verses beyond those eight in brackets only. There would have been and there was a great impulse by later scribes to turn the ending of Mark in the direction of the stories we have in the other Gospels, such as Jesus' resurrection appearances to his disciples, his commissioning of them, and his ascension into heaven. But in the original version of Mark's Gospel, we are left at the end with the silence and the fear of the three women who first received the message of the resurrection. In this Gospel reading then, Mark places us finally with the women in their grief for their lost teacher and friend, compounded by this utterly shocking turn of events. No sense can be made of this by them. In a simpler version of reality, we could expect that their mourning and grief would be transformed into joy in an instant when they were told that Jesus was alive. But the human condition is more complex than that. And Mark leaves us with their fearful and shocked silence. Everything they were expecting that morning has come to a dead stop. They have no body to tend to. The devotion with which they have come to show Jesus by anointing that body the reality of Jesus' death they are working so hard to absorb, their feelings of grief, all are being required to be emptied out from them, like the vacant tomb with which they are confronted. These rituals by which they seek to process the death and at least retain some sense of control over their emotions in the overwhelming awfulness of the reality, even they have been stripped from them, with no body and only the unbelievable pronouncements of a mysterious stranger. What they have now of Jesus is nothing, or rather fear and silence only. This is where Mark places us at the end of his book, which he described in its opening verses as the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Why is that? Before I reflect further on that, let's turn back to our first reading this morning from the Acts of the Apostles. Now we are in a very different place. We are eavesdropping on the Apostle Peter preaching the good news of Christ, the forgiveness of sins. This is some time after the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and in the igniting of the growth of the church beyond Jerusalem and indeed beyond the Jewish community and into the whole of society and other nations. The resurrection of Jesus has been more than just processed by the disciples. It has processed them. They have been completely changed with new hopes and purpose in life. Now they are proclaiming the new world which the resurrection has brought into being. They are now the agents of God's plan. The wonderful reality of new life and restoration of peace with God through faith in Christ. Peter and the other apostles are the very opposite of fearful and silent. 
They are bold and eloquent in sharing what they have witnessed. Their eyes and their hearts have now been opened to the new things God is doing. No longer do they grieve for the old life they had with Jesus or long to return to it. Instead, they rejoice that beyond the sacrifice and the suffering and the shame he endured, and they endured in different ways, they have been able to enter a new way of being, not by their own efforts or exercise of control, but through the grace of God, the love which has been poured out by the gift of the Holy Spirit of Jesus in them. So back to Mark's Gospel and its conclusion in the fear and silence that fell upon these three women. Earlier in the Gospel, in chapter 14, Jesus had told the disciples that after he was raised up, he would go ahead of them to Galilee. This is also what the mysterious young man tells the women, that Jesus has been raised and he has gone ahead to Galilee, and there they would see him. The other key phrase that the young man at the tomb said about Jesus was, He is not here. Mark's Gospel, like all the Gospels of course, is written after the conversion of Paul, after his letters and the spread of Christian faith in that first generation following the resurrection. The resurrection is not new news to the readers of the Gospel. It is the basis of their faith. The Gospels provide a written record of what happened with Jesus for the coming next generation and beyond. What Mark's Gospel may be telling us in this abrupt ending is that it wants to place the emphasis on the newness and the difference of Jesus' risen life in God. He was not raised to live again as he had done, but raised into a new dimension, a new life with God. He was no longer there. The old order was finished. The resurrection is not a reversal of his death. By his resurrection, Jesus has gone ahead into a new future, not returned back again. On Easter Day, as we celebrate the raising of Jesus from the dead, Mark's Gospel is not a deficient version of events for us. It is a reminder of an important aspect of Easter faith. The faith in Christ gives us a hope for the future. Jesus has gone ahead of us into the future. Therefore, we are also given strength and courage in the present. We work for the coming of God now, trusting that God in Christ will meet us in the future which unfolds. The past, yes, we learn from it, especially from what we saw of God at work in it. But in the end, we are called to move on from the past to the future, in sure and certain hope, where God is waiting for us with his transforming love and presence. Alleluia. Christ is risen. Alleluia.